Greetings here on Deep Background for August 30th, uh, 2017. Uh, joining us today to talk about important stuff is Lindsay Wise of the McClatchy Washington Bureau. Great to have you with us, Lindsay. Thanks. And Brian Lowry, of the uh, Chief Political Reporter for the Star. Brian, great, it going, great to be here. Before we uh, b- launch into today's discussion, uh, a couple of quick uh, caveats. We're in the newsroom, so if you hear some phone ringing, phones ringing and chatter, you'll know what's going on. And the second thing is we are taping a little bit before August 30th, so there may be events that happen in the next week <laughs> that you will not hear us talk about. Uh, Lindsay just happens to be in Kansas City this week, so we're looking into the future. Right, and we are, because September is going to be a a train wreck month, right, Lindsay? I mean, in Congress. (laughs) But it's almost unavoidable at this point. I mean, just go down the list. You've got a debt ceiling. You've got a budget you have to pass. One assumes some sort of either continuing resolution or an omnibus bill tax reform, whatever's left for health care. Infrastructure. Infrastructure, <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, well, are we looking at a train wreck, or do you think they can get this worked out? Um, that's a really good question. I think part of the big wild card here is how Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump will be working together or not working together on these things. I think like there's been some mixed messages from the administration like about the debt ceiling. Um but also just apparently some different views and some actual shouting matches and cursing matches right. apparently going on between Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell and Trump and some back and forth. Uh, seems like the relationships there on the Hill, which were never like very passionate, um, but kind of practical in the in the hopes that I think Republicans on the Hill thought that, you know, they could get things done under Trump because he's uh, sensibly a Republican president, even though, you know, obviously he doesn't... Um, come from the establishment side of the party. Uh, And I think that they are finding that has not been the case and that uh, there's a lot of frustration from, you know, GOP aides and operatives and lawmakers on the Hill. Um, They feel like some of the things like the controversy over the Charlottesville comments um, has really distracted from their agenda. And um, there's a lot of blame going around, you know, President Trump's blaming uh, Mitch McConnell right. for not being able to pass health care or uh, McCain. And he's not holding back in his... Bob um, Corker. You just go down right. the list, he's picking on everybody. And and he's actually um, backing people who are going to potentially primary some of those folks. So I think that... Uh, and then Mitch McConnell, on the other side of things, is using his own PAC, his own political action committee, to support his colleagues um, against people that Trump is uh, you know, actively supporting and promoting... Uh, to run against them. So it's a really kind of unprecedented in my time in Washington to see this level of rancor and frustration and finger pointing going on between members of the same party, between the White House, I mean, and, you know, a a, uh, a Congress that is held by the same party. And and Brian, you could not think of a, we'll, we'll break these individual challenges down in a minute, but globally, you can't think of a worse strategy than to have a, this sort of civil war in your own party right. in the best of times, let alone when you face these extraordinarily well, the challenging things. The economy's still doing pretty well. Like right. Some people say if you know Trump just stopped tweeting, he'd have a decent approval rating. Um, I saw. I went the other week. I went to Warrensburg, Missouri, for a Claire McCaskill event. And, you know, obviously she's a Democrat, but uh, she's got a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle. And I just asked her for her assessment of, you know, what is the debt ceiling debate going to be like given uh, the president's strained relationship 
with his own party. You know, usually a debt, theoretically a debt ceiling vote when you control both uh, chambers of Congress and the White House should be easier than what uh, President Obama faced when he was working with uh, right. Republicans in Congress. Although debt ceilings yeah. are never yeah, easy. Yeah. Well, they used to be, but not Right, right. Not but but not yeah. and, and so I asked her about that. She paused for a second, and the first thing she said was, it's going to be weird. <laughs> and so I think that's what, maybe that should be the really key word for what to be the slogan. Be. It's going to be weird. Uh, and, and she pointed out that, you know, Trump's budget director, you know, always wanted to vote against raising the debt ceiling. Uh, meanwhile, he's got a Treasury Secretary who's talking about how that would cause a crisis. Right, and he wants a, the Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, has said he wants a clean debt ceiling, and Trump has said that he wants um, his wall funding tied to the debt ceiling. Right. So even even just leaving out Congress for a second, you're going to have factions within the White House that are competing. And when I talk to uh, you know, when I talk to Republicans uh, or Republican staffers, uh, they, they say they don't really know who they're supposed to be talking about, talking to in the White House right. to get things done, get deals made. Be, and that all, of course, points back to the president who, uh, you know, really misunderstands the legislative process. I mean, he really doesn't, even at this late date, Lindsey, grasp what has to be done? If you said, if Donald Trump were sitting here and you said, well, what about this omnibus bill? He wouldn't even know what that is, you get the impression. Well, one yeah. of the things I find really interesting about some of his tweets over, like, the health care, um, the attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare that failed in the Senate, is he kept saying and tweeting, um, blaming the Democrats for blocking them. Um, <laughs> and the thing is that they had enough Republicans to pass it without any Democratic votes. Um, so I don't know if it's just he's not doing the math or it's a political strategy to blame the Democrats. And then he's shifted and now he's blaming Mitch um, McConnell. So, I mean, I think that, yeah, he I think he has he you know, he ran on this um, idea that here I'm a successful businessman. I'm an executive. I can come in there and do things, cut red tape and do things faster and do things more efficiently and the things we hate about gridlock in Congress, I'll just, you know, like kind of bulldoze all that and get, right. get through and get things passed. And he's found that that doesn't really happen very easily, even when you hold a majority in both houses, um, because the parties themselves, I mean, whether you're talking about the Democrats or the Republicans, have a lot of divisions um, and different interests, whether depending on what state they're from, depending on which part of the party, you know, how far right they are. Right. Um, and, and 2018 is ahead and primaries right. are a possibility and, and, and tough general elections right. and the Democrats have a lot at stake. And I do want to talk about what the Democrats' posture should be, which I think is almost as fascinating as the Republicans. But again, from your Washington mm -hmm. perspective, Lindsay, is it more likely that we'll have sort of a global solution to all of these things, in your view, that, you know, the Democrats want Obamacare cost-sharing payments, for example. There are things they want. Trump wants a wall. You do have to have a spending bill of some sort. You know, during the Obama years, it was always a grand bargain, put everything in one big package and see if everyone can get a little bit of what he or she wants and then vote for it. I get the sense that's going to be harder this time, uh, but maybe what everybody turns to in the end, because if you do debt ceiling and you do budget and you do omnibus and you do Obamacare fix and you do, you know, and start talking about tax reform, the the lift just seems so heavy. It does. I mean, I think that um, there is some concern 
I mean, I think the Republicans really, really don't want to hit the debt ceiling. Republicans in Congress. I don't know about Republicans. Uh, most well, of the Republicans. I'm talking about the Senate in right. particular. But the president has said, look, let's have a good government shutdown. You, yeah. you don't get the sense the Hill agrees with I that I don't think, no. I don't think even Ryan... You know, right. wants that. I don't think McConnell wants that. I, you know, there may and be. He said as much. Mitch McConnell has said there's a zero chance we won't get a. Debt I mean, bill. it would basically boil down to you know going into next year to 2018, an election year where you're only like, quote unquote, accomplishment, right. <laughs> major legislative accomplishment or lack thereof is like shutting yeah. down the government. Yeah, I but mean, I just also... don't see how that helps them much. A, 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 sh- a shutdown with once again when you've got Republicans control. Uh, you know, both chambers of Congress and and the White House, it's just very like who do you blame? They would just have to be putting blame on each other because I was in. They're trying to blame. I, they're yeah. going to try and blame right. the Democrats. Like there will be an attempt to do that. Um, that their their argument. There is a sort of argument I've heard that you know along with their failure to pass Obamacare repeal or other things that they haven't been able to do, that their argument going into 2018 will be, well, we need more Republicans. We need a two-thirds majority right. in each um, We just changed the Constitution, I yeah, guess. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that there will be an argument that our problem is we need more and sort of more Republicans and more Republicans aligned maybe right. from the president's perspective with his views, um, which is maybe why he's backing some people in the primaries. But that and, could and cost him. He could actually lose the majority. Right. And the danger, I think, is if you get to this sort of brinksmanship at the end of September and then you do go into a government shutdown, that could go on for a long time. You really get the sense in the current environment that the Freedom Caucus will dig in and the sort of the, you know, the, the Rand Paul wing on the Senate might dig in. It, you know, so... That, to me, suggests the idea of a grander bargain because Mm -hmm. everyone has an interest in keeping the government going. If they fail, the shutdown could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. theoretically, as you've kind of hinted at, Democrats do have some bargaining power. The Freedom Caucus actually gives Democrats bargaining power that they wouldn't have. Particularly on the House side. Yeah, if if, if Republicans were more united, the Democrats wouldn't have the same amount. But there are some opportunities for Democrats to make some interesting strategic moves to maybe try to get a few But, do, Brian, do you think they'll do that? Or do you think the Democrat <laughs> strategy will be to sit in do the I corner Do they think they'll be politically wait? savvy? <laughs> no. And, is that well, an exactly. question? No. Is it, is it possible, or if you were advising the Democratic, uh, you know, Democrats in the House and Senate, would you say, in essence, let these guys blow everything up, you sit on the sidelines, come in at the end and, and be the savior or whatever? Or would you say, no, use your bargaining chips, get what you want on Obamacare, you know, get what you want on uh, on uh, funding for domestic programs, and, a, and, and use the chips that you have and then have sort of a kumbaya moment. It's, very, it's a very September. subtle art, right? And I mean, we saw some we not a identical, but we saw a similar situation play out in Kansas not too long ago. Right, with, precisely. With, our, with the budget crisis there, where Democrats, although minority party, now had a significant number of seats and enough seats where you weren't going to be able to pass a tax bill unless you had Democratic votes. The Democrats were actually, they were, I'm talking about in Topeka, they were very patient. They they really did hold out a lot longer than some people, I think, including you. Yes, no. I thought it was yeah, right. But it, they ended up getting a yes. lot of what they wanted. It was a, it was a hell of a game of chicken, though. wasn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah. They really right. did get so to a place it's, where it's one they could have lost everything. Yeah. You're not going to get the things you want if you came right away, but then you're right that there is a certain but, window. But what do you do if you're Claire McCaskill? Do you say, well, let's get together and see if we can fix this problem? Or do you say, no, you've caused this nightmare. 
You you find the path. I think Claire path. McCaskill will want to seem like she does want to work bipartisan uh, fashion. I mean, she seems to be pushing that in her amazing tour of 25 <laughs> town halls. And rural doing, areas Yeah, of she's been doing two, three a day. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's been her message, I think. She has... She has said, and she's had a couple of bills signed by the president. Um, she uh, she has said, you know, it's not my job to fight the president. It's my job to fight for you. And while she can be critical of Trump, um, she does want to present herself as someone who is bipartisan, who can work across the aisle. She can't really run as like a hardcore liberal in Missouri, um, nor does she, I think she want to do that. So um, I would I would think there are certain members of the Senate in Democratic caucus who will be open to working with Republicans on certain things like stabilizing the markets and stuff. Right. Um, and I think there might be some Democrats who'd rather hang back. And right. as a caucus, it's we'll have to see. But I think one of the things I'm really curious about is um, what will happen if, say, there's like a clean... Uh, debt ceiling bill um, or a debt ceiling bill that doesn't have the wall money in it and it goes to the president's desk at the last minute, will he sign it? Um, yeah, <laughs> I with Kelly standing the, over right. his shoulder? Because he's such an important yeah, part of this. Yeah, and he's a hard to predict. But 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 you, you just wonder if you can even get to uh, a resolution in which you can present something to the president because there are so many factions in both houses mm-hmm. When you say, for example, a clean debt ceiling bill, that's going to make the Freedom Caucus members in the House mad. So can you get any Democrats to go along? Well, no, they don't want a clean bill either. They'll want the Obamacare cost-sharing payments in either the debt bill or an omnibus bill. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't even count what the Senate is going to want or what. And you need 60 votes for the debt ceiling on the Senate side. So, so I, I want to get back to President Trump, but yeah, just I mean, getting that's it to what we're desk. talking mm-hmm. about, isn't it? That that there are so many dysfunctional, and Kansas is another good example of this, so many dysfunctional segments of both houses that even getting a work product right. to the president is difficult in the best of circumstances. Right, and, and I mean, one, one thing is, I think the debt ceiling is an issue that the public fundamentally doesn't have the best understanding of they you know it's it's one that it's very easy to present right. this caricature that uh we raise the debt ceiling just so we can have more bloated government spending as opposed to no this is so that the entire government right. can continue to function and do all the things that right. you depend on it to do and how it would affect our credit um, rating right. and our economy and, and, and i mean the we had the we had the star hosted uh, Kevin Yoder town hall. Uh, he wasn't asked directly about the debt ceiling. He was town actually, hall, but he was asked right. when he was talking right. to reporters. You asked him, and his answer was he yes. he looked as Kevin Yoder always does looked for quite a bit of nuance where he said he certainly doesn't want a clean yes. debt ceiling bill. It's an opportunity to do things. But he wouldn't commit to well, not yeah, voting for a clean yeah. debt right. ceiling bill. Which I think, by the way, was a hint of where the leadership is going to be. Yes. Because I think the leadership is very interested in maintaining whatever options it can and then, frankly, everything falling apart and saying, look, we, the only thing we can get is a clean bill. That's how and, I think it's going to And then when it was out, opened but. up to the when, – when, the, um, <laughs> when we got to the actual town hall – uh, he was asked to identify, you know, a, uh, a, a government agency that he thought was doing wasteful spending. He says the EPA, and there were boos. 
there were booze. People in the in can in Kansas. Granted, we were in Johnson County. People in yeah. Kansas were booing someone for criticizing the EPA. It was a historic day. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. But then you know he he pivoted and said, oh, he thinks there's also the Department of Defense. Question is, you know, will we see from guys like Kevin Yoder who say that they want to use this as an opportunity? Will we see them actually put forward real, actual policy proposals right. that or they could feasibly do get it. done, right. or will they talk about spending cuts in more of a theoretical, philosophical right. sense? Now, once we're past the debt ceiling, we do have uh, at least at some level either a continuing resolution, an omnibus bill. They're way behind on appropriations as they are every year. Um, is I mean that's people think well that's not going to be a problem that that's you know that's how you shut down the government if you don't have a continuing appropriations bill or some sort of omnibus or something. What what's the outlook there? Well, I think Do you it's just sense? become like regular business in Washington now to have an omnibus and to have this question every single time right. whether we're going to go into a shutdown and it's up until the last day or the last minute. Um, to see whether they'll come together. I mean, I think that the me- really almost everyone on the Hill, um, especially the leadership there, really doesn't want to shut down. Um, and I think that we've seen, you know, Senator Blunt, for example, who's on leadership, has um, been very involved in getting these omnibuses together right. um, and, you know, getting them safely out of the uh, danger of a shutdown uh, several years in a row now. I mean, I think that you, you're likely to see another omnibus or continuing resolution. Right. And um, but thing- you also, you also, Lindsay, yeah. don't you? You need a budget too for next fiscal year, right? In order to make the tax cut package, which we also expect in September, uh, doable by the end of the year, which I think the Republicans really want to mm-hmm. win on. Does that complicate the uh, the uh, omnibus discussions? And you know, and I think yet? it does, and I think it gets to something that is going to be tough for the Republicans, and was the last time they passed their omnibus, which is that you know they're controlling the entire government now, and yet their omnibuses um, or budgets or whatever right. um, that they've actually passed have not been cutting things. Like, right, spending more yeah, money, and, particularly um, on the defense department. Right, or NIH, which is right, something right. that matters to a lot of lawmakers from right, our area. Right. Um, so, uh, so. They have many of the members of Congress have spoken out against the proposed budget by President Trump because there are a lot of cuts in there right. that they don't like. Yeah, the Trump budget is dead. But, right, but, but that actually are, did cut. I mean, in theory, right, cut right. cut more than the Congress appears to be willing. Even a Republican Congress appears to be willing to do. Yeah. So I wonder if Republicans are going to find themselves again, like running, you know, some of these incumbents uh, who are Republicans running again and saying, well. You didn't cut the debt. Yeah, you didn't yeah. even. And cut don't spending. you get the sense, Brian, that the Republicans really want to win on tax cuts? They, the, you know, the health care bill Kinda blew sky to, high, so they want to have something to put, you know, they, take they, home they by need, Christmas they need Day, something and, where they can take a victory lap. And so, but to do it and to do it with fifty-one votes, you have to have a budget resolution uh, for the upcoming year, and so that. And I think the Democrats again understand that, and so this, this uh, is another example where we can we can take a lesson from Kansas and, re- <laughs> and remind folks this right. was something Kevin Yoder even said uh, that the tax cuts won't necessarily pay for themselves. You do need to right, find a way to pay for them. which is another. I mean, I'm just I'm reading sort of the leaks coming out of the Big Six, mm-hmm. which uh, you know the, the leadership that's negotiating the tax cut. 
uh, proposal. Is it revenue neutral, not revenue neutral? I thought I heard Yoder saying he wanted a revenue neutral package. Right. Brady has said that. Paid for. Right. But other Republicans are saying, oh, no, no, no. You get the whole stimulative thing and you get the whole, you know, Brownback right. Yoder, uh, Yoder shot Yoder of adrenaline. Yoder not one so. of the people who believes that you just cut taxes and revenue pours in. That right. You do need to actually you know, reduce exemptions. You do need to, you know, look for other. But that's politically unpopular with voters. Like, right, if you take away some of their exemptions, right? Right. If you say, hey, we're giving you a tax cut, but you can't deduct your mortgage interest anymore, people will go out of their minds, even though it might, you know, be a plus financially over time. People have come quite accustomed to some of those big ticket uh, tax and you can bet the Democrats it. will uh, talk about that. It, it, well, right, it, they're not on board for the tax cuts at all, really, are they? I mean, they so so again, their posture right. is let this blow up, and then the Republicans have. But, but I think for Kevin Yoder, taxes become a more interesting issue that it would be for your typical for your typical Republican. Just let me get that tax cut. I can send it to. I can sell it to my voters. I cut your taxes for Kevin Yoder, given the fact that. Uh, voters in Kansas really turned strongly against right. uh, tax cuts in 2016. He needs to sell them a tax cut that does satisfy some of those concerns. Right, right, right. I do get the sense also that with the exit of Bannon and the sort of decline of his influence in the White House, that there are at least some you know folks in Washington, some Republican aides and operatives, seem to think that might actually make you know, it easier for Republicans to do tax reform because Bannon actually had different ideas about right. taxes and how they should be cut and who should be cut. And right. And there's also a theory, isn't there, Lindsay, that that things like tax cuts may be easier because you can do that in the background while everyone is watching debt ceiling and omnibus and all these other uh, important issues. You can do taxes sort of under the radar and then you know, exp- you know, give it to everybody in in November or whatever, right. and, and rush to the. Although end they of the tried year. to do that with health care, and yeah, that didn't, didn't work, work out so well. No, I mean, I think especially well, if, if the Democrats can pitch it as like, here's a bunch of tax cuts for corporations and rich people, and where's your cut? You know, to the ordinary American, I think that right. will be hard for Trump. And that brings up the last subject I want to talk about, which is we none of this happens in a vacuum, right? I mean, every it, it isn't as if you just have 18 things to worry about without adding the Russia investigation. Uh, whatever might happen in Korea, whatever might happen in the Middle East. And then, Brian, the president's proclivity to blow everything up on a 24-hour basis. And really, right. almost every day, it's like that Tom Cruise movie where he dies every you know, every time and then comes back. I mean, it's really a <laughs> – it, it, every day you have to reset your whole political calculus because the president of the United States blows it up. Right. The, pre- the president can start a new national debate every morning on Twitter. And does, and does on all of these issues, which changes – you know, I think our, one of our biggest problems in this business is – we view all of these developments through a sort of a classic lens of, well, this faction, this vote, this – none of that seems to matter to the president. And, and that is – I mean, it's beyond a wild There's card. basically a Team Trump in his mind. And if McConnell or someone else or McCain isn't on Team Trump or even Bannon or – Whoever at the right. moment is out of his favor, like. But he had a tweet as we right. as we discussed this today. There was a tweet this morning that said you should have put the debt ceiling. A Trump tweet right. that said should have put it with the VA, whatever the VA bill was, as if Democrats would then not oppose the VA bill because of the debt ceiling being on it. You don't get the sense he 
he gets that. Right. Well, I mean, we were not, hearing frustration. Not that he's wrong, but it, he right. literally doesn't understand what he's talking we about. We were hearing frustration from lot, both lawmakers and, um, you know, aides on the Hill uh, who were on the Republican side who just felt like as they were trying to negotiate this, even though Trump was getting engaged sometimes and did, the White House did try and make a difference, that he fundamentally didn't get the policy. Right. Um, I mean, that the he has a big idea and he was like, he just kind of wanted to delegate it. And get it done, yeah. and just got frustrated because he, he, when he got in the weeds, he just because he wants what he wants, but doesn't understand how to get there. And you, we, we go back to the grand bargain with John Boehner and Barack Obama, and that fell through. But you did get the sense that both sides sort of were negotiating, and they couldn't reach an agreement, and that's understandable. But Trump might blow it up. I mean, how do you get to a deal on the debt ceiling when the president right. of the United States might blow well, this it up was what I said. on Tuesday what and happens, then try and bring it back? What happens if they pass a debt ceiling that he's not happy about because it doesn't have his funding for his wall, which has become a very important issue for him? Can right. his aides, can Kelly or other people convince him to sign it? Right. You know, to save or put the, it in another place. Or, does, or, or he'll decide that, you know, that's some stand he wants to take. Right. That One lawmaker from our region who has uh, really emerged as an interesting player, uh, I'd be curious just, Lindsay, what you thought on this is Jerry Moran. <laughs> you know, you and I talk about this uh, quite a bit, but not always on Dave's podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, has more so than I think any of the other Republicans in the Kansas City region has taken a few jabs at the president, has, has staked out some clear policy differences you know some of these aren't the biggest issues like air traffic control privatization but right. he's he's staked out policy differences he really repudiated the president on charlottesville yeah he, he was one of the few um, republicans to actually name uh, the Trump president in his yeah. yeah in his statement moran is not up for re-election for, for ever six years <laughs> if he <laughs> runs again yeah, he yeah. may not run again. Um, but um, he's just, does he, is there any fallout for Jerry Moran taking out this this anti-Trump territory, or is 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 he also allowing himself to maybe start to occupy, you know, like uh, uh, I don't want to say a John McCain space, but oh, so, not somewhat, I wouldn't yeah, put yeah, Jerry yeah, yeah, Moran yeah. in that category. But, yet, I mean, what, what what is what's the long term mean, this mean for Jerry Moran, and you know, will we see Trump's wrath eventually <laughs> aimed at? Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping to sit down with. Jerry at some point or at least catch him in the hall and get to talk to him a little bit more about that period where he came out um, against the first yeah, that was uh, a confusing bill. week. Yeah. yeah. And so I hope to sort out a little bit of that. But I do understand that he was in contact with the White House and the president um, during that time. So I'm interested to hear kind of how that went. Um, but I think that uh, I think we just kind of I think that it's hard to say with Jerry Moran. I'd be interested to hear actually, Dave, since you followed him for longer. What you make of? Yeah, I what think he's been uh, doing. I think he. My, my view is that he, he will be a reliable vote in the end for whatever sort of the leadership wants. I mean, I don't think Jerry Moran has a great desire to be out on the cutting right. edge of all of this stuff, because the president has shown no reluctance to attack senators he don't he doesn't think are f- friendly. You know, John McCain is battling cancer, and 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 the president's taking him on. So. Uh, and I just don't think Jerry Moran is the kind of guy who wants to pick a visible fight repeatedly with the president of the United He's States. More and I think was, He's more and, subtle. And we certainly saw yeah. that in the health care debate where he was the you know key vote to kill one version and then, in essence, came around and, and supported a more draconian approach. So, <laughs> uh, you know, getting the, the reality out of that is sort of difficult. But uh, I disagree. I don't disagree, but I, I offer another perspective with Brian. I, I find guys like Blunt more, more fascinating in all of this because 
you'll get a Jerry Moran, you'll get a Ben Sass, you'll get a Jeff Flake, you know, some people who, who for whatever reason, move in and out of the discussion. But, but Roy Blunt, the, it, we have to watch senators like that to see if they decide at some point uh, that they can no longer uh, uh, embrace the Trump approach. He's in leadership. He's in leadership. And, and that's why the repeated attacks on Mitch McConnell are so fascinating right. to me, because if the president picks a fight with Mitch McConnell, that's going to leave Roy Blunt with an extraordinarily difficult choice. I mean, he's in the leadership in part because of Mitch McConnell, and, and he's in the leadership and so needs to get, get these uh, footballs down the field. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he could but, take but, over. But, right. Well, that's <laughs> he's true. in the U.S. He's Who in the would US want that job? I know. That's the question. Of Donald Trump. With almost yeah. arguably, yes. precisely because of Donald Trump. But he never has Trump. to share another ballot with Donald Trump no. either. Could, and he right. is on the Intel Committee, and he knows more than we do about this Russia situation. Russia, right, right. Yeah. And so the question to me is, the guy to watch for me is me Roy too. Blunt, to see wh- wh- whether there ever reaches a point where he says, okay, enough is enough. I mean, Blunt, as you know, is kind of a real politic guy. And will you know bend whatever way he thinks he needs to bend to advance his own career and his own ideas? He's not an ideologue in any in that. But he wants sort to get things done in Congress. Right. This has to be making yes. him totally crazy. Yes, that's that my they point. finally have a majority. They have a president well, who's Lindsay, a Republican to sign Lindsay, their legislation, right. and they can't get anything done. I mean, he's been dying for this chance. Right. And so the question is, when does he reach the breaking point? Yeah, I've been. And it, I, I don't get the sense that he's close to it now, but you may uh, obviously. I mean, I do. I, we do regularly. I mean, as you can imagine, and actually, it's uh, the Hill has become a much more crowded, crazy place. Like with uh, the ma- number of press there, yes. uh, we have a lot of free reign there to run around and talk to members of Congress, um, and it's great. The access is great, but with all this attention on the Russia story and politics right now. There's like so many people up there that it's become very hectic to the point where they were talking about limiting, you know, access and credentials because right. it was they were worried they're going to trip over trip a <laughs> senator, you know, or Diane Feinstein going up the escalator yeah. is going to get knocked over. You know, what I mean, so we're uh, there is a concern. people standing by right. the Ohio clock. I will, yeah, and I will say that you know I do try and talk to Senator Blunt whenever I see him um, about whatever news of the I mean, day. He's fascinating to me. He's yes. smart. He know. knows what's going on. He Again, he's not an ideologue in that way. He does want to get things done. And yet he's very Republican. I mean, he wants to get them done in a Republican way. Right. And Trump is such a challenge for guys Well, one like thing that. I've found, like he has been very careful in what he said. Extraordinarily but So the, his actual words tend to be very very measured, very cautious. Um, he's very still very accessible and polite whenever right. we try and talk to him, even though I know you know we're probably the last people he wants to talk to um, on his way to whatever meeting he's at. But right. he, um, he, uh, he basically has, we've asked, I mean, I've heard him asked repeatedly after various, you know, shocking revelations that, you know, were just published about the Russian investigation or some other thing to do with the president. And, you know, his answer tends to be like, I won't answer a hypothetical because people will ask right. him, like, when does when is your when is your, uh, your breaking, breaking point? point yeah. And he would just be like, I won't answer. That's a question that's like I would reject the premise of that question. Yeah, so right. he's, that's kind of the state he's in very patiently answering that question again and again. But you also even though the words he's using are very, you know, mild, I think like he you can see his like, I can't believe I'm answering this question for the hundredth time is like every I can't talk about what I really want to talk about, tax right. reform, health care, whatever. Right, right. Like here I am, like having to answer for the president's actions every yeah, darn I day. Although, uh, I think there's definitely frustration. Oh, and I was just going to say Missouri's other senator, uh, Clara Caskill has, you know, compare I, what I think is very instructive is sometimes to compare Emmanuel Cleaver's response <laughs> to things Trump says to Claire McCaskill's Cleaver. 
and he's in a much, much safer seat. District, right. Uh, not holding back at this point with, with the president. Really just kind of is, is – is, is, no more diplomacy for Emmanuel Cleaver. But Claire McCaskill is still making a point that she would like to work with the president. When the president does sign a bill that she supports, she she compliments him. He praises it. They emphasize when he when right. she votes for one of his nominees. And she when she criticizes the president, she does it in much she she, she will criticize him, but she will do it in much more measured tone. Right. Than some of her Which Democratic is why I colleagues. enjoy comparing what she says to what Kevin Yoder right. sa- says, because they, it's so clear that they're sort of rapidly Balancing act. charging to the middle <laughs> right. class, it, when the whole uh, impetus in our politics is divided. I, I was going to go back to Blunt just because one of the things I've noticed about him and that I've really been looking for, I mean, he, there, there have been a couple statements he's had, especially in relation to, I think there was one incident where the president uh, allegedly, like, you know, gave some classified information to the Russians in the Oval Office. Right, right. And um, his statement that came out after that, for, for me, watching all of his statements carefully over the time, seemed very strong. Like, this is very, I can't remember the exact wording right. of it, but it was like, this is really not a, you know, like not appropriate or concerning or something like that. I can't remember. But um, but I remember that, like, you know, for, for all that there, he might criticize sort of something that Trump does, whether it's Charlottesville comments or, you know, the Russian situation, like he will never mention the president by name. Right. Almost never, not even in personal conversation. He right. does not mention the Trump president by name. I think the day that comes where Roy Blunt criticizes the president directly by name or tags him on Twitter, then we know like right. the end is nigh. <laughs> well, well, I would say this. I, I think that I think you're exactly right, Lindsay, that the, the whole impetus for guys like Blunt, just not blunt but guys like him too and women senators obviously is to get things done they they they, they want to they, they run for office for a reason this, has been they their want to, this is their chance they've got majorities in both their turn houses they they own the white house this is what i and the only way they'll ever turn against the president if they is when they determine if they determine that he is an impediment that they cannot get past to get things done. And I think we'll know the answer to that at the end of this session. Honestly, that's one reason why tax reform is is high stakes. Yes. And another thing, other than how, met, how much income tax you're going to pay, which is this is Republicans really need to win. They've been yearning for these tax bills for right, years. Right, and if you can't pass tax cuts, yeah. you as can't pass anything. Right. Well, even as Democrats, the or easiest in- <laughs> vote anybody ever takes is to cut taxes. I mean, Well, you- I would say, I would say actually, I kind of don't know that the end of this year is going to be the breaking point. If I had to say there's a breaking point, I would say maybe we'll see what happens in 2018. And if they feel they get punished somehow or, you know, if they feel yeah, that the Trump coalition is still strong enough to hurt them, um, like his hold over the base. Yeah. Like, I think but, we they're going to wait to see how he performs. Right. Well, let's office. wrap this up then. Then well, what's the best case scenario for the remainder of this year and the worst case, Lindsay? And um, for Republicans? Yeah, for, mean, the, for the country, oh. for the Congress. <laughs> I mean, what's the what? You know, obviously the best case is they pass the debt ceiling, the, you know, the day after Labor Day. And, right. But, but realistically, where will we be at the end of September? Do you, you know, give us some sense? Of I mean, hopefully, I, mean, I think like realistically, I, I don't know. I think we may still be struggling and, um, you know, a lot of sniping and finger pointing. Um, right. I mean, the worst case is no right. tax reform by the end of the year, a government shutdown of a month or something right. like that. And the economy's tanking. The economy, our, you know, suddenly the recession, right, down. the recession yeah. kicks in. 
Um, uh, you know, best case is you avoid all of those things. You wonder well, it's best case may be that General Kelly takes the, the, takes the, phone, the phone away. away. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> I really, I don't know. He might need a whole uh, battalion to do that. I don't know that, that that's almost like coup yeah. level. <laughs> What's your what best case, worst case? Do you have one, Brian? Well, I mean, if if we if we can get through a debt ceiling uh, vote. Without feeling like we're going to have the total collapse of the American economy and government, right. like maybe just we'll have like a little bit of heartburn, but we won't. Right. We won't right. really. I think that's think also, we'll avoid and also that shoring the, up the Obamacare yeah. markets. I think right, there's right. an interest and an appetite for that among Republicans who realize they aren't going to get the health care. You know, worst case, bill I think, through. is that you know the debt ceiling becomes a real stalemate, and you do see a ripple effect, even if they do end up raising it. If but you it becomes do that, a, if, they, yeah. if you get a shutdown, debt ceiling doesn't happen. And I then, think that wipes out tax reform. And the markets collapse for the Obamacare, right? It's, it's, you know, that's really the worst case, that the government l- really freezes up and you don't get anything done at any level and you come to the end of the year. And I wonder, though, disaster. if Republicans would use that would try and hang that on the Democrats. I, I don't know how voters would feel about that, but I, I think well, it's very hard to do that when you hold all the right. reins of I government. Mean, I don't think that Kevin Yoder would run around the third district and say it's all the Democrats' fault, and he's not reluctant to blame Democrats for for problems in government, but it's just so obviously a majority I mean, party If that challenge. happens, Topeka and Jeff City are going to look, uh, yeah. you know, are going to look completely reasonable by uh, by comparison. Okay, well, this is completely unreasonable, this discussion, and it's been great to have you both here. And, uh, you know, we'll maybe get a chance to revisit uh, with uh, these issues with Lindsay and Brian maybe in October, November, or whatever, when we have a better sense of what's going on or what's been happening. So thanks so much for coming by. Brian Lowry with the Star Chief Political Reporter and Lindsay Wise with McClatchy's Washington Bureau. Um, I'm Dave Helling with the Star's Editorial Board, and you've been on Deep Background. Thank you. Thanks, Dave.